And we welcome you into episode number 31 of the best podcast available. Working from home editions continue, gentlemen, and we're pleased to be joined. After a couple week hiatus, we brought him back. We value him. We like him, and we're looking forward to hearing from him. Nathan Zagura joins with Andrew Gribble. I'm Jason Gibbs. Make sure you log on to clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you get your podcast for all of our 30 prior episodes of the best podcast available. Gentlemen, I wish you a happy Thursday morning. The latest news around the league. This is from NFL Network's Tom Pelissero, the NFL and NFLPA discussing the possibility of shortening the 2020 preseason per sources. Might be happy about that. Nothing finalized or imminent, but multiple team execs believe teams could end up playing only two preseason games rather than four. Shortening the preseason would allow for a longer ramp-up period, regardless of whether or not players report earlier than scheduled. Andrew Gribble, your thoughts on the reports from Mr. Pelissero late on Wednesday? Well, you know, I think that they obviously probably have a lot of stuff to work out with this, because this this may sound like a simple endeavor, but I don't think it is. I think that, first off, you've got schedules like the Browns, who are currently supposed to do two on the road and then two at home. So does that mean the Browns then just get two home preseason games and some other teams uh, have some tough luck? And then I, I guess you've got to start talking about the the financial viability of this. I mean, these are these are big events, and that there's they're on the schedule and, and these were planned and, and you've got to work, have a lot of workarounds with that all that said if if the medical experts come in and say this is the best way to keep these guys healthy after all these months of inactivity or, or lack of football activity that is then you probably got have to follow the medical experts with this one and, and I think that uh it'll it'll just be interesting to see what what deal is is brokered on this and what is the exact reasoning for it and if it really is a purely medical-based reason on this. Yeah, when you look at this, look, we're trending towards a, redu- a reduction in the preseason anyway. As soon as we go to the 17 games, we're going to lose a preseason game as it is. Perhaps this is a way to test that out and see do people miss the preseason games? Do the teams miss the preseason games? How does that look? The thing about it is, as of now, not only are they big events, they're big for the teams in terms of their local revenue. Preseason TV contracts are a huge part of what you do with your partners, with that TV contract, and those are negotiated on having four preseason games. And so there is a big financial aspect to this as well that I think would have to be worked through. I'm not surprised that they want to give players a longer ramp-up time before the regular season, and ultimately that's what matters the most. That's why we've heard perhaps the training camps would open a week or two earlier, which would alleviate this problem anyway. You could play your four preseason games and have that longer ramp-up. So it's all going to come down to what the NFL and the NFLPA can work out, because one of the things is you can only have training camp open a certain number of days prior to your first game, which is why training camps open when they do. And so for a team like the Browns and for the players, it would require the NFLPA to change what has already been collectively bargained, knowing that it has been a unique circumstance and there weren't OTAs, there weren't mini camps, there were none of those things. So could that happen? I don't know. So far, our guy J.C. Treader is defending the players as ferociously as he defends Baker Mayfield. And that's what he's been charged to do. And frankly, he's doing a good job of it as we see whenever something comes out that might be not necessarily, I don't know positive is the right word, but some a movement, we'll call it, in terms of the plan for when people report or whatever. JC's and me, like, don't believe anything unless you hear it from me. And then two seconds later, we typically get a tweet from one of the, the beat people on the NFL beat saying, yeah, the NFLP is not into this. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I think that that part really comes into play. Uh, Diana Rossini from ESPN yesterday saying while there were discussions about letting limited players back in the facilities next week, sources told the NFLPA are saying the NFLPA denied the proposal. Player safety clearly a priority. And, and Z, I think when you take a look at this, we're talking two preseason, three preseason, four preseason. We're talking all this. We're talking six weeks, maybe earlier, maybe later in terms of how many weeks of training camp you're going to get. The NFLPA is definitely taking the approach, and it's the right approach. We need to know that everything is ready. Protocols are in place. And I know there was a protocol memo sent out to all the teams earlier in the week, but clearly the NFLPA wants to make sure we don't start getting mass cases of this and have to shut down the league. No, and I think as, as we've seen all along, you know, it, two weeks from now, the world could be completely different in terms of how it is in relation to COVID and, and what's opened up. And, and by the way, if there aren't huge spikes in this following what we've seen mass demonstrations all around our country, I think we're, you're going to start to feel pretty good about this and things are going to open up even further. So I, I think there, listen, erring on the side of caution is never a bad idea. I think that's what we all wanted to do all along in terms of our relation to COVID-19 and dealing with coronavirus. And if we had to look back and say, oh man, we were too cautious, that's a, that's a phenomenal outcome and there's nothing wrong with that. So I think JC, as I said, diligent in his blocking for his quarterbacks, diligent in protecting his players as well. And, and that's what he was charged to do. And he's going to do that. And I think they've got a great advocate in him and I, they're going to figure this out at the end of the day, it is a business. There is money to be made. The players want to do it in the safest way possible. The teams do the teams don't want players. What happens if two of your running backs or what, let's take the one room that really you can't just pull somebody off the street. What if your quarterback room, gets it and they're all out for two weeks in the regular season what are you who are you getting is Jeff George getting the call is it time for my Disney movie my my opportunity I don't know but these are the things they have to figure out ahead of time no is the answer yeah definitely no. my my hospital trip perhaps and the, the more ramp up time clearly the better though because you've seen these colleges that are coming back and and they've had chunks of cases in, in some places Alabama with five some other schools had had even more of those so you you want to get ahead of this and give yourself as much time because you get diagnosed, you're you're on the shelf for two weeks at least. I mean, you've got to you yeah. you, you've got to get ahead of this. So I don't know if that means you get you you bag those preseason games or if they can somehow come to an agreement that they can do this two weeks earlier in July. But time's ticking. You got to make that decision pretty soon uh, for these guys to make their summer plans here. Yeah, and Gribble, you make a great point. I mean, it, it could be more than two weeks. We've seen people across the country with this, and it's in. It's infected them for three, four, five weeks. So, I mean, until you're totally cleared, you're not going to be allowed back in the building. So who knows how long that might take. Our head coach, Kevin Stefanski, addressed the media on Wednesday. Gribble, your big takeaways from a pretty powerful 20-plus minutes with Kevin Stefanski in the media. Man, listen, I'm, I'm just flat-out impressed with the leadership. I think that's what he's, he's shown from – from day one and this is obviously this is a a, a weird I mean, a crazy situation for a first year head coach but I think somehow with all the circumstances that have gone around this right now I think it helps him kind of establish that leadership because he's he's empowering his players he's bringing them together they're all in these these crazy unique situations from a home situation and then with with what's going on in the world and I, I think the position he believes in and feels strongly about is one that is going to really rally 
the players behind him. And I think we're already seeing that when you talk to players, they, they talk about how much they enjoy this. And I, I think it, it just, it just, it was good to hear a coach just talk so openly uh, about these, about these topics. And I think he, he's, he's, he's clear in his messaging. And I think that's the most important thing. And, and the most important line from the entire press conference was the, the biggest thing is I let them know I've got their back. And I think that's all the players want uh, in this kind of situation. Yeah, there's no doubt. And as we said on Browns Daily yesterday, he was born to do this. I mean, he was born to be this type of a leader. He was born to be a head football coach. He's so, we talked about the preparation. He's clearly so prepared, even for things that he couldn't possibly have foreseen or been prepared for. He's got his plan. He's got his process. But you hit the nail on the head. When we talked to Jedrick Wills last week, when all of this was going down, the, one thing, the first thing he said is that Kevin Stefanski made it clear to us he has our backs 100%, period, and he wanted us to know that. And they feel that. They believe that. Every player I've talked to talks about what a great communicator he is and what a great – how genuine he is. And so those are the things – Bill Callahan has been doing this a long time, said so the most important thing you can do as a coach is make your players know, A, that you're genuine, but B, that you genuinely do care about them. And that creates that bond. And Kevin Stefanski has done a great job of it. I thought in that press conference, we couldn't have asked for a better spokesperson for our team uh, and for our organization. And I think Andrew Barry's done the same things as well internally and externally when given the opportunity. And it's amazing to think that Andrew Barry's the youngest GM in the history of the National Football League. Kevin Stefanski is in his first year because both seem so polished like seasoned vets. And I thought he did a great job. And there's no doubt what you said is right on the money, Andrew. And that is that, this is a guy who has set the leadership of this team. He has taken unique circumstances, handled them with tremendous aplomb, and that has been a rallying point where he is the unquestioned leader of this team. And I think the locker room appreciates his perspective and his willingness to be a part of something that they could easily look at and say, well, that's not his fight. He's making it his fight, and I think that's powerful. Yeah. I, I, you guys talked about it on Browns Daily on Wednesday and have talked about it since – you know, over the last few weeks and even the last few months, the, the the GM and the coach, I don't think since this team has been back in 99, have been more intertwined and in lockstep than these two guys. It's been pretty impressive. Yeah. It's been I great. The clear thing is to me is that every time I hear Stefanski talk or every time I talk to him myself, it's just, it's comfortable in his own skin. And I think that's the the most important characteristic a first-year head coach can have, especially when he's spending his day. Basically, he he has a, a screen of faces, and he has to talk competently enough and, and know that his message is sinking in, which I think is really hard to do. You're not really getting the, the body language feel. You're not, you're not seeing the eyes locked into you the way you would. And I, I think that he, he feels good about what he's done so far, and I think it, it'll make it that much more special when this team actually does come together for that first actual meeting. Like I said, I think he was groomed for this. I mean, he's been around this for a long time in the league. I remember we talked to Pat Kerwin, whose son was his college roommate, and he said this kid always had a quiet confidence, always knew what he wanted to do, and it is this. And he's gone out and he's made it happen. And I think it's, it's very impressive. I mean, he's so professional and so put together. I just called you Andrew in the middle of my, my, my speech, which is the first time I think I've ever done that in, in, in the history of our relationship, which dates back to 2014, at least without a sir in front of it. I don't know that's ever happened again. The fans, he doesn't even do that with me. No. Yeah. Unbelievable. No. The big, that's a big BPA moment. You got to come to BPA for that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's all sing kumbaya. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, Zagura, you've done a, quite a lot of these interviews, whether it's the Working From Home series, 
um, you know, interviews for CBD, you've, you've heard the press conferences, you've seen everything. Is there something that someone has said or, or a big takeaway, a, a player that has stood out to you over the last few weeks with, with everything that we've been going on and finally, you know, getting a chance to talk to these guys as, as they train from home during this crazy time? Yeah, I mean, first of all, they're all excited, right? And that's this. Oh, I'm excited. We're gonna have a great year. All of, that's all the normal stuff. I would say some people that just individually have impressed me beyond maybe what I expected or what I knew. And in many cases, it's because they're young guys. Jedrick Wills was incredibly impressive. Every time I speak with Nick Harris, I'm blown away by him, and I think that he's gonna have a tremendous future in this league. Uh, and was ended up being a steal for the Browns. But if you say if there's one theme, if there's an overarching theme to all of this. There was a lot of concern, especially from veterans. How are we going to implement these new schemes, both sides of the ball, with, you know, in this virtual period? That's difficult to do. And I think they've been impressed. And I mentioned earlier with Stefanski as a communicator, but the ability for the Browns' leadership, whether that be Stefanski, AVP, whether it be Joe Woods on defense, to effectively communicate what they want from the players, from a scheme standpoint, from a responsibility standpoint, from a technique standpoint, and be able to show them has blown a lot of these guys away. In fact, many of them say that we are mentally further along in this process doing it this way than we would have been even if we were there. And that speaks to the communication skills, the effectiveness of what they put together with our IT department, with our video departments, to really be able to hammer home what they're doing. And I think that's got a lot of players very excited. That's the one thing. They all realize clearly that Kevin Stefanski gets it and he's prepared and he's going to put them. And this is something players like. This is another thing you talk about having their backs. The other thing is to know that a coach is going to put you in the best positions to succeed. And I think certainly on the offensive side of the ball, the guys all feel that once they've gone through the scheme, the way it's been explained to them, what their role will be has been explained to them and that communication there. All right, guys. Uh, time to have a little fun as we do when I get the two of you together. Yes. Uh, ESPN's Jake Trotter, a uh, friend of uh, the Cleveland Browns Daily Show, uh, ranked the Browns position groups. And he had eight position groups, the quarterback, the running back, wide receiver, tight end, O-line, D-line, linebacker, and the defensive back room. I would like to you guys to rank them from one to number eight, number one being the most important to number eight. What's uh, most important or what's the best? I'm sorry, the best. I said the best, my bad. I'm changing the rules. Go. That's all right. That's I all like right. to do that. It, uh, yeah, yes, you do. I take a page out of your book. Uh, yeah, I would say the best from number one to number eight. My first question before we start this whole thing, do we break up the DB room into corners and safeties? Yes. Yeah, I'm fine with that. So we're going to nine groups then. Nine. I even think you can break up the DNs and the D tackles, but we can we can leave them all together if you'd like. Nah, I don't want to do that. I don't okay. want to. Do you uh, want us to go from eight, which is the least confident, to one? Or do you want to – I think it's, it's more – I think we started I, – I would like to do that, but then I feel like we're going to lose track. So we should start at number one. Look at the big brain on Gribbs. Come on. We're not going to lose track. We got this. Gribbs, do you feel comfortable with that? Yes. I'm comfortable right. either way. We're totally winging this whole segment. Awesome. We're underway. Let's go. Let's hey, number eight. number eight, guys. I thought we're nine. Yeah, we're at nine, Gibby. <laughs> Corners and safeties. Now we're at, we're, at, we're at nine. Now we have nine. Yep, nine is fine. Now number nine. Nine is fine. Number nine. What do you got? 
Gribble will go with you first. I mean, I think this is. I think the easy answer is based on simply experience, and that's the linebackers right now. I think that's the. It's just the one where there's really not a set starter at any position. I think we assume Mac Wilson will be one of these guys, and B.J. Goodson will be as well. Just not really sure where they're going to line up yet, and I think we'll get some clarity on that uh, as training camp goes on. But experience-wise, I think they they know that. That's why they've got the chip on their shoulder, and uh, they're entering the league the year with lots of proof. Yeah, this is the one unproven group. This is the one group that doesn't have somebody who's been a pro bowler, somebody who's been a first-team all-pro, someone who, at least from a draft standpoint, has the pedigree of being a former first-round pick or a second-round pick. You don't have that in there. Got a couple threes in Taki Taki. Jacob Phillips this year. B.J. Goodson was a fourth-rounder who started 29 games, which is the most of anybody in that room. In fact, it's more than everybody else in that room combined. Uh, and so – of course, love my guy, Mac Wilson, but that's the room that has the biggest question marks on paper, on the field, period. And honestly, after that, the next eight, this is going to be very difficult because all of the other rooms are very good on this team, which is a great thing for the Cleveland Browns. Which leads me to number eight. Zagura, kick things off. It's a tough one for me because I think that, like I said, we are very good. I'm going to go, honestly, I'm going to go the safety room next just because it's a little – look, Sandejo's a 10-year veteran. Like him a lot. I think Grant Delpit's going to be a stud. I think Carl Joseph played great the last couple of years before he got hurt and is a former first-round pick. Sheldrick Redwine showed us something last year as a starter, a fourth-round pick uh, coming into his second season with six starts under his belt. I like this room. I actually like our safety room quite a bit. I think you have the versatility to put Sandejo out there with Delpit and Joseph. Both uh, Delpit and and Sandejo can cover the slot. They can both play free. They can both play strong, as can Joseph play free and strong. I like this room, to be honest with you. It's just I'm going to put them at at eighth because we haven't seen any of these guys, really, other than Sheldrick Redwine, in Browns uniforms or playing together. Dribble. That's what I had. And for seven, I'm going to stay in the same area. I'll go corners at number seven. Uh, I just think that you've got a pro bowler in Denzel Ward, and then you've got uh, some upside with Greedy Williams. You want to see another full season out of him and, and Terrence Mitchell, but then you've got some, and and the addition of Kevin Johnson, but I think depth could be uh, a question mark with this group. You've got to find a couple more uh, bodies in there. And I just think you've got to see both Denzel and Greedy be healthy for a full season. So that's, that's why I'll put them at seven. Just to be different. And, and because I also feel a little different, I'm going to put the tight end seventh. And I know people say, wait a second now. We've got Harrison Bryant, two-time Pro Bowler, chief coming off of a very disappointing season. Then we drafted, and I'm pretty pumped about Harrison Bryant as well. I think that's a great one. Um, did I say Austin Hooper earlier? Or maybe I said Harrison Bryant. But Austin Hooper is I our stud that we brought. Thank you. Harrison Bryant was in the draft in Njoku. And then behind them, we got Steve Carlson, undrafted free agent, who showed some flashes I know is well thought of in our organization, and Farrell Brown. So it's a room that I feel really good about. In fact, the Browns feel so good about it. They didn't go into the draft with any intention, Andrew Barry said, of drafting a tight end. It's just Harrison Bryant was there in the fourth round. They couldn't believe it. They said he's too good of a player to pass up, so they drafted him. But that's a room where Hooper, two-time Pro Bowler, Chief, I think, this is a big year for him, a lot to prove there. And I think just if you look at the overall depth of that room versus the corner room and the pedigree, I like the corner room a little better. And I'll put them sixth. But I like that room. You talk about Denzel, Greedy, Kevin Johnson, a former first-rounder. Money Mitch is your fourth guy. And then you've got some players in that room who are helpful in other ways. Tavier Thomas has been a core special teams player. 
Robert Jackson, I think, has certainly shown some flashes in his time here, as well as Donnie Lewis, potentially a slot corner for the future. Uh, I know that organizationally, they think Donovan Alombo has a chance to, to come in and be a player with his length and his size. So we'll see. But that's still a pretty good room when you consider your starters are a first-rounder who's been to a Pro Bowl already, a second-rounder who had a pretty good rookie season, and a former first-rounder who was part of what I would call a very, very good Buffalo Bills defense a year ago. I just uh, – I, I do agree with Gribbs. I, you got to see those guys on the field. In the last couple of years, we've had to go to, to corner number five, corner number six even, and – I, th I wonder about that depth of that room and, and we'll see how far some of those guys have come along in their development. Uh, hopefully we don't have to see too much, but at some point uh, it'll be nice to know that you've got those just in case. Gribbs, who do you have at number six? It's a tough one. Uh, I, I think, man, I, I'm going to go with the defensive line. I think that's where I'm, I'm going. I, wow. I just, I don't because I just like the offense too much. I mean, let, let you make like our tight end room better than than a. Let me, room let me take this back because okay, I thought we were we were we were each getting our spots there. No, so this will be your six. This will be your six. Okay, so my my six would have been the tight ends. I thought okay. we would locked that in. Okay, all right, fine. So, so we're in agreement there. So then my fifth would be the defensive line. Okay. I, got, I think that they're this. You're great on on paper with starters, and you've you fortified the depth there. I just need to see it all come together for a full season. I, I want to see the, 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 all, I'm, I'm too, I'm too scarred after what I saw at the end of last year. I, I think we, we all, we're all going to get flashbacks of, of what happened when that group was decimated. So I think this is a big year for them. And I, I think that the, the, the key addition is, I, to me is Adrian Claiborne. You need that third pass rusher. So to see him, if he can step in and provide the production he has had the last few years, then I think you're good. But I, this is more of a reflection of just how good I feel about the offense right now. All right. So I might this might be unpopular. It might shock the world a little bit here. So we were the same in our first, just different order, but the, the, the groups that we had nine, eight, seven, and six. We stayed on the defense side, linebackers, safeties, corners, tight ends, uh, offense. Honestly, I'm going to say the quarterback position here. I think if you were to look around the league and, and say you could take rooms out of our team, where would our room rank in the National Football League? I think our D-line room, D -line room is going to rank pretty well, actually. I think our quarterback room, based off of what happened last year with Baker Mayfield, is not. And, and I think that you look at it and you say to yourself, okay, we've got – Miles Garrett is considered a transcendent talent. Sheldon Richardson's a Pro Bowl performer. And I'll talk about the D-line more when I talk about them. But in the quarterback room – You've got – I love our quarterback room. I believe in Baker. I think he's going to have a big bounce back year. But we don't have a pro bowler. We don't have an all-pro in that room. And Case Keenum, a very good player who, who took that Minnesota Vikings team to NFC Championship, is our quarterback room better than it was a year ago? Significantly. I think significantly so. I think it's an excellent room. But from a top line – until Baker proves it this year, which I believe that he will, I think if you were to compare our rooms around the league – our quarterback room is going to be trailing our D-line, our O-line, our wide receivers, and our running backs pretty substantially and how they're regarded rest against the other 32 teams. No, okay, I'll wait till we get to that position until it comes up. That was number five. Now it's number four. Gribble, we'll start with you at number four. Well, I would have had QBs at this point. So are we, where are we locking those in? Because I, I think the, 
the other three for me are are pretty set above the QB. And I, I I'll echo what what uh, what Nathan just said. I was just uh, I think I was too afraid to put the QBs that low because I feel good. I feel it's just so do I. I, I, I forget. I, I'm just forgetting the 2019 happened for for what we saw from Baker. And I, I have that much trust in an offense that is really going to be built to bring the most out of him and not put too much on his plate, which I think just last year there was just too much put on his plate. And I think that uh, it was your typical second season regression that we used to see in the past with a lot of quarterbacks. And I think he's poised to have a big year bouncing back. So I, I think I will say there is a big separation between the quarterbacks and the rest of my list. Cause I think those, the, those three are, are much higher uh, than the quarterbacks in, in my rankings right now. And listen, I love our tight end room. And I think our tight end room is a top 10 tight end room in the NFL for sure. For sure. But this is what I'm talking about. We have a lot of talent on paper. So we got to go out and we've got to win games. I mean, other than the linebacking room, which is unproven, although it has talent in it and pedigree, it's unproven. Everywhere else, you've got guys who are proven. I mean, we just, our safeties and core, all of this, it's all there. That's why we've got to be good. I'll go with, this is tough for me. I considered wide receiver here because we're so top heavy at that position. And if you were to look at the whole body of it, I do think the defensive line as a unit is better, but I'll put the D line here. Miles Garrett, obviously coming back from what happened last year, but I was on pace having a sack a game. One of the best pass rushers in the NFL. Vernon was great when he played last year as well. Now you bring in Claiborne, Chad Thomas, all of a sudden is your fourth defensive end. Then you go to the interior of that line. Sheldon Richardson, who I think is criminally underrated and an excellent player, Larry Ogunjobi, you bring in Billings. And I'll tell you, when you watch Jordan Elliott on tape, you get excited about that guy as a sub-package pass rusher, at least early in his career, his movement skills, his ability. So you have a strong eight in that defensive line room that you feel pretty good about. Of course, Chad Thomas is probably going to be pushed. This isn't the regime that drafted him. And when you're, you know, the top pick in the third round, you're expected, or one of the top picks in the third round, you're expected to have a bigger impact than he's had through his first two seasons. But top line and the fact that potentially, you know, maybe Clowney could come into that room later on, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good room. And I like it. I like all the rooms that we have. I mean, that's why we should be good. That's why there, there should be some expectations, even though last year has kind of put us under the radar, which is a great place to be. Gribble number three. Number three, I'm going with wide receivers for the team right now. And I think that top, top, your top two are great, but you need more than two. And I, I think that there's a lot of question marks beyond uh, Odell and Jarvis, and not to mention that both of them are coming off pretty significant surgeries this offseason. So th those players are going to need to step up uh, whenever these guys get on the field. I like the re-signing of Rashard Higgins. He falls into the Baker category with me. I'm just going to forget about last year and, and pretend that he's coming off, coming off the 2018 season. I think Damian Ratley has, has done well in spots. And I think that the Browns are hoping to get more out of Taewon Taylor. Just didn't really see much of him in those first, outside of those first couple games last year. Tough adjustment for him to come in uh, at the end of the preseason and, and make that switch. But th there's some there's a legitimate competition going on there for those third, fourth, and fifth spots. So that's why I've got them as, as my number three. Yeah, I agree with that. The good news is we're running predominantly a two-wide receiver offense, and our top two are as good as, you know, any tandem in the NFL. You know, they're certainly in the upper echelon. Maybe some of Mike Evans and Chris Godwin's a pretty good one as well. But there are good tandems out there, but the Browns tandem is, is elite. That is an elite twosome. I love bringing Hollywood Higgins back. Taewon Taylor, look, this offense, when it's been run well historically, has always had somebody who could take the top off of the defense. And that's what Taewon Taylor was drafted to do in Tennessee. You saw him run around last year. He clearly can do that. Will he be able to do that on a more consistent basis? Not sure. 
Ratley, as you mentioned, Kaderil Hodge, who's one of our core special teams guys. And then you draft the ultimate wild card, Donovan Peoples-Jones, number one receiver recruit in the country. He's got the size. He's got the speed. He's got the jumping ability. He's got, he's got it all. Was he held back at Michigan? We'll find out. But I think you talk about a ball of clay to mold. He's got it all. Chad O'Shea to work with him, getting to work with Jarvis. He could be special. I'll throw one thing out there. If we had Taylor Gabriel, who's a free agent, who's played in this offense, who's played for the Browns, if you brought him in, I would all of a sudden bump our wide receiver group way up because he is what this offense, when it's been very successful historically, and I'm going to go for the Kyle Shanahan years in the modern era with the Browns, then with the Falcons where Gabriel went down there and had 700 yards. You look at, you know, even with the Niners, he had the guys that could stretch, that one guy who could stretch the field last year, Debo Samuel did that a lot for them. That's the one thing that you want to see. Marquise Goodwin has had some big years for him. That one guy that can really be explosive. And I'll give Taewon Taylor the shot at it, but I, I've seen Taylor Gabriel. I've seen him perform at a high level. That's the one thing that's missing. It's missing that full compliment where you're like, all right, we have a lot of different stuff going on in here that we could do. But it's, again, a two-receiver offense predominantly. And if those two are healthy, you feel really, really good about it. The girl number two for you. Number two, I'm going to go with the offensive line. Uh, and who would have thought we'd say that? Last year, there would have been eight or nine, most likely, around there. Not going into the year, but at the end of the year, that's certainly where the ranking would have been. Uh, and so what do you do? You go out and you bring in Jack Conklin, who's been a first-team All-Pro. You draft Jedrick Wills with the 10th overall pick. And now you look at your line, and you say from left to right, Jedrick Wills at left tackle, Batonio, multiple-time Pro Bowler. J.C. Treader should be a multiple-time Pro Bowler. Uh, your right guard, internally, Bill Callahan, he really feels good about Wyatt Teller. And apparently, they have a relationship going back to his pre-draft process. Uh, that we found out when we when we got a chance to talk to him. And then at right tackles, I mentioned Conklin. Your backup tackles now, your backup tackles, Chris Hubbard, who started 29 games for the Browns last year, 43 starts in his career. He's a guy that can play all five positions, in fact, has at various points in his career. Kendall Lamb started 13 games two years ago for the Texans, made a couple starts for the Browns last year. On the interior, you got Drew Forbes in the mix. There are a lot of guys that they like. You get Nick Harris in the draft, who I think is going to be a great fit you just have some pretty good depth, and there are other guys we could go in. That's where you have the most depth on the roster right now. But you feel pretty good about that room, the starters, and knowing that if, if some things were to happen, you have some, some competent professional contingency plans. I mean, Chris Hubbard got a big deal because of what he did as the jack-of-all-trades sixth lineman for the Steelers. Yeah, right? I, I agree. That's, that was going to be my number two. And I, I just think that you, you brought up 2014 when you talked about Taylor Gabriel. I'm going to bring up 2014 when you talk about the offensive line because I think that that's the, the closest similarity you have just with different strengths at different spots. Obviously, you had a Hall of Famer at left tackle. Now you've got a rookie, but one you feel really good at. You've got really good – I mean, uh, Joe Batonio, one of the best in the league at his position. Jack better Conklin, now than he was then. Right tackle at that position. So I, I just feel so much better about that group. And I just – I can't foresee a scenario where you have two straight years where you can't find a right guard. I just think that you're going to find one and, and find one that can, can play really good for you at, at that spot. So I, I, feel, I feel fine that you're going to be able to, to lock that up. And I just think the majority of teams around the league do not feel this good about four of their five offensive linemen right now. I think that's the, that's the key with ranking these position groups is that the Browns are in an enviable spot where they've got four spots pretty much locked up on their offensive line. And the one opening being at right guard, I'm good with that. Now, see, I, I am surprised that both of you have the offensive line as high as you do based on the fact that we don't know what left tackle will look like. And right guard is still a question mark going into camp, although you have plenty of quality candidates for that position. I, I, I mean, I think three out of the five you know for sure, 
two or you know four a little unknown? No, well, I mean, know. we know Wills is going to start. Yeah. I mean, I'm saying that. There's a bold prediction. But, um, <laughs> I mean, I think we know that that's going to be the case, but we don't know what he is yet. The guy gave up one sack in 39 games in the SEC. I think he's going to be good. Listen, I, I just think the, the defensive line was – Bring is, the Hoff and get the Hoff on the, on the, the hotline. The defensive line is better than the offensive line if you're right I love our positions right now. I love our D-line. We have – you need if, – if Vernon was coming off of 16 games and 10 sacks, I'd feel a lot better about it on the D-line. And I think Larry didn't have the year he wanted to have last year. You have more depth. I mean, like I said, I think you're solid eight there. Our line, though, when you think about what it could be in the league with uh, – Treader is an upper echelon center. Batonio is one of the best guards in the league. Conklin's one of the best tackles in the league. So three out of your five are guaranteed are, – are elite at their positions. Wills, everybody's excited about, and those who know this game a lot better than I do in those positions are incredibly excited about him. Four out of five is good. You go back to 2014, our line was Joe Thomas, rookie Joel Batonio, who played very well, obviously Alex Mack, our boy John Greco, and then on the right side you had Mitchell Schwartz. That line was very instrumental in what that team was able to accomplish on offense with what you would call substandard skill position players relative to the league, certainly below average. Now we have elite skill position players relative to the league, and I think we have, we have the chance to have a real elite offensive line. Gribbs uh, at number one, obviously. Yes. Everybody, everybody's your name. I mean, you've got one of the best running backs in the league, if not the best, in Nick Chubb. And then you also have Kareem Hunt, who is one of the best running backs in the league as well. And I'm going by math. I mean, at most, you're going to have two of those guys on the field. So that's, that's pretty good. And to have those two. And also, like, not many teams have the odd stability at running back that the Browns had last year. I mean, you basically bring them back to the same room as last year. There's with Uranus Johnson and Dontra Hollyard, and you're adding some undrafted free agents in, in Brian Herring and, and Benny LeMay. I mean, this is a stable group. It's the one position you're bringing back your position coach at. I mean, I, I just feel very good about this group. And this is when. This should be the year for all for both Chubb and, and Kareem Hunt. If this is a career year, if this is going to be a career year, it's going to be this one. You've got Chubb in his third season, Hunt in his fourth season. I mean, the, the, this is prime years for the running backs. I mean, this is this is the apex for, for this group, and I, I think that uh, I think it'll it'll play out that way. I mean, when I, we, historically speaking, I don't know if you've ever had a tandem of running backs this talented in their primes at the same time. And, and the Saints recently with Mark Ingram and Camaro were certainly a dynamic duo there. You go back to Marcus Allen, Bo Jackson. I brought up on Browns Daily, the Chargers when Ladanian and they had Michael the Burner Turner, but they never gave Turner the ball. He just averaged six yards a carry and then went on to run for 1,700 yards the first year to be a featured back. But Cremont led the league in rushing in 2017. Cremont had 14 touchdowns, about 1,400 total yards in 11 games in 2018 before all of this happened. He was elite as elite as it gets and now here he is with Nick Chubb who might be the best pure runner of the football in the NFL and he, we asked him, we talked to Kareem on, on CBD yesterday he's got a big chip on his shoulder nobody he said people aren't he noticed it we've noticed it but he noticed it as well people aren't saying my name man, but they're gonna they're gonna remember his name and he's gonna make sure of that and I think the biggest one of the biggest challenges in, in an offseason of a lot of challenges if we're going to move to things that are certainly less important is how do you divide that playing time? How do you distribute those touches? How do you keep both of these guys happy? Do you worry about keeping both of these guys happy? How do you utilize them? Because they are weapons, but typically there's, well, in fact, always, there's only one person who can carry the ball on a given play, and there are only so many snaps. There are only so many carries. 
uh, you know, could we see a situation? Chubb had 300 last year. And this is the point I brought up on CBD. I'm curious to hear what you think about it. It wasn't even a point. It was more just a theoretical discussion. If this organization, I think you have to take something, you realize long-term, the idea of having Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb in your backfield together is, is untenable, right? That's not going to happen. So if that's the case, if you're saying, I want to commit to Nick Chubb long-term, do you do more of an even split? Do you even feature Kareem Hunt a little more so that Nick Chubb doesn't have a 335-touch season again this year? I mean, I wouldn't feature him as – I wouldn't feature Hunt more. I would I would just make it as balanced as possible because I I, I think Hunt was underutilized as a runner last year. Oh my God! Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, and Five I thought a game. And I thought when he got the ball as a runner, he would he 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 had that extra juice in him, and and he always fell forward. I I, I liked getting him the ball, especially on the goal line. I liked I, I liked Kareem Hunt in, in those situations. So I would just go for more of a balance. You know that both guys are not gonna not going to be problems when it comes to to this I think they're both clearly team guys and I I just think you you, you need to split it as much as you possibly can because I, I I don't I think that that will be the best for your success this year I, I think you I think we're we're going to expect Kareem to be in a little bit different of a role than he was last year because I think that was a little bit thrown together just it was a tough situation with him coming through midway so I, I just I just I would balance it as much as possible maybe a slight edge to Nick Chubb but I mean, these are two really good running backs. And at the same time, though, it's certainly really hard to tell myself just mentally, and I think the world of Kareem Hunt, I saw him that game that he had, his last game in Cleveland as a member of the Chiefs, he was the AFC Offensive Player of the Week. I mean, he put up over 200 total yards, I think, and three touchdowns, just diced us passer as a runner, as a receiver, in every way possible. But it's so hard to say, I don't want to just give Nick Chubb the ball 20 times because I know what that looks like, and it's good. Yeah, it's a beautiful the problem- thing. You just don't want to become – I'm the only fear I have is you don't want to do what the Broncos did last year. They had something really good going uh, with Philip Lindsay being the main guy the year before. And then they tried to work in Royce Freeman. And granted, this is like apples and oranges comparison between sure. Chubb and Hunt and, and Royce Freeman and, and Philip Lindsay. But I, I thought it just messed things up a little bit there. They never really could get into a rhythm. And then when we – when we go play them last year and Phil Lindsay's breaking off these huge runs, I was like, why is this guy not getting the ball every, every time he gets, you know, so you've got to make it so you are balancing it out, but not ruining the flow for either, for both guys. And I think that's, that's the, the balance they have to strike offensively. So for me, when I think of what that could look like in a pretty productive way, you know, I think you kind of think of the Saints and Mark Ingram and, and you know, Kamara was the main guy, even though he's more the hunt than the chub. But f- figuring out a balance. That year they had – Kamara had 270 touches. She's 1,500 total yards, 18 touchdowns. Ingram, 12 game, in only 12 games, still had 150 touches uh, and scored seven times and put up, you know, 800 total yards. Maybe a little bit more of a balance than that, but that's kind of – isn't that kind of where you're at? Maybe or, or more like even 2017, Ingram, 230 carries, 1,100 yards, 12 touchdowns, plus 400 receiving. Kamara had 1,500 total yards and 200 touches himself. That's the year, 2017. That's what you're looking for. 250-plus touches for, for Chubb and, and around 200 for Hunt. Sign me up for that. Give me the 2017 Saints backfield with us because I think our guys are more talented, and let's see what happens. All right. No pressure, Coach. Just need you to that's a tough, all that That's together. a tough thing to do. It's a it tough thing to do. You got to think the Saints didn't have a fullback that year. Am I correct? They had Zach Line was the fullback. Play much? 
not heavily involved. So that, that's why I wonder how that affects the snaps and touches. Sure. Yeah. They also had two games of John Kuhn. Remember John Kuhn, oh, yeah. folks? Oh, yeah. Nice. Nice poll. All right. So those are, the, those are your position rankings. Uh, it's a good it, It's good. I mean, They're eight really of good. the nine, you They're feel really, really, really good. good. Yeah. They just have to show it. Yep. Yeah, and I, it. I will also say with my rankings, I factored in injuries because I think that's why I had maybe the D line a little bit lower than you guys did because I think one injury on that lot and that group could affect them a lot more than some of these other groups. If they that's a great point. Injuries. I, I just think that 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 group to me is is I I, just, I think any position, but we just saw it last year and it, it just is. That's the same reason I think I think that's the same reason. Never again. Corner. I think <laughs> Never the again. quarterbacks ranked as low as we do. That's a talented room, but if we need five or six, yeah, not really sure. Let's hope yeah. we don't. I love our top four. I really do. I like our top four in that room, and I think the guys you have behind them are, are filling out. Well, you need somebody. Uh, you need somebody else who can emerge. I think really more than anything, you need somebody who can emerge as your backup nickel. Because Money Mitch, I think, is your backup outside corner. You need somebody who can emerge as that backup nickel. And by the way, that might come from your safety room. I mean, they, that Sendejo did that in the playoffs last year and did it pretty well. They, they actually are pretty high on what Sendejo can do from a versatile skill set standpoint. But that's what, where Donnie Lewis, who was drafted last year, who was purely an inside corner, you need somebody like that to step up and really show what they can do. A.J. Green? A.J. Green would be a great candidate. And that's, you know, listen, the most prized undrafted free agent. And I know that that's a weird thing to be, but he is. And a guy who played very well at Oklahoma State when we talked to him, a boulder on his shoulder, a mountain on his shoulder, and ready to prove what he could do. He would be perfect. And I think he's going to get every chance to compete. Every chance. Nope, I agree. Just turned 22 on Wednesday also, guys. Happy birthday. Or Tuesday. Young, 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 the theme. It's all up to Kevin Stefanski and his staff to get them ready to go for opening day in September. Knock on wood, it's in September. Uh, that's going to wrap up episode 31 of the best podcast available. Thanks to the Z, stands for Zagura, for stopping by. And My Jeff pleasure. Daniel for uh, spinning the dials and taking care of business behind the scenes. You can log on to clevelandbrowns.com for the latest podcasts or wherever you go to get your podcast. Like and subscribe today to the best podcast available. Also, make sure to check us out on YouTube. You can watch all the frivolity from when I totally screwed up a segment here today uh, at youtube.com slash Browns. For Andrew Gribble, I'm Jason Gibbs. Thanks for watching and thanks for listening to the best podcast available.